Hey, it's your favorite cat lady, Stephen Ray Morris, Ologies editor, unboxing video connoisseur, and corndog zealot bringing you today a very special episode of Ologies, because this week we're turning the mic on your host with the most, Allie Ward, to interview her about her time making this podcast and more. Now a bit of history. I discovered Allie Ward after seeing her with Georgia Hardstark on the Meltdown stage, I'm pretty sure, July 3rd, 2013. I looked it up. I immediately subscribed, of course. Slumber Party was the first podcast I'd ever subscribed to in my um, Apple Podcast app. A little over a year later in 2014, I was lucky to meet Allie at a live Slumber Party show. She's charming, hilarious, curious, and open-hearted. She inspires me every day. As I got involved in the local Los Angeles podcasting scene, uh, we connected over a mutual love of natural history museums and science in general. So while I started producing podcasts and hosting on my own, I got Windovologies brewing and wanted to be part of it. However, before we dive into Allie's journey and how Ologies came together, I wanted to get some business out of the way. Supporting Ologies uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash Ologies, even a dollar goes a long way to making the best show possible it could possibly be. Plus, there's tons of new merch in the Ologies store, ologiesmerch.com. And today's subject, Dad Ward herself, has her very own show premiering on the CW Network this Saturday morning, October 6th, called Did I Mention Invention? Which, to quote, uh, will bring viewers fascinating stories of invention while shining a light on everyday innovators. Sounds pretty neat to me. Check your local listings, of course. Um, I know all Ologites have already carved out some time Saturday uh, to get their uh, dimmy on. That's did I mention invention? That rolls off the tongue, right? Okay. Ologiesology, or Alleyology, as I want to call it. Eh, eh? In this episode, Allie and I sat in her closet of wonders to chat about her path to ologies, answering your Patreon-submitted questions, and some of my own. We talked about Natural History Museum epiphanies, the nuts and bolts of putting an ology episode together, and the importance of science advocacy. Plus, we also talked about manifesting your passions, being vulnerable, and more. So now, without further ado, it's my pleasure to reintroduce your sports stats-obsessed cousin slash grandma's new boyfriend slash cam counselor slash dad ward triumphant ologiesologist ali ward It is recording. Okay, cool. I just figured we'd just hit, just hit the ground running. Keep it going. Ooh. All right. Are you ready? Uh, kind of. Okay. I, this is... <laughs> it just contextually, it's so weird for me to get so divulgy. You're the... What was somebody saying? Ologyologist? Ologyologist. Mm-hmm. Sure, you, I study ologies. That's legit. It's can, a made-up word. Yeah. Can you get a degree in studying how other people study? I think... I just need to get old enough, and right before people think I'm going to die, someone gives me an honorary something to somewhere, even if it's just like Rancho Cordova honorary doctorate in absolute <laughs> buffoonery. I'll take it. Uh, well, yeah, the, you, I mean, the, and then you get a postdoc in it as well. <laughs> Post um, honorary doc in buffoonery. Yes. Um, I mean, there's so many good questions to start with. Um, Thank you for doing this, Stephen. Of course, I'm excited. We oh haven't we haven't uh, sat and talked on a podcast in a long time. I know since the percast. Yes, which is which is one of the questions. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. They were. Uh, let's see. Excuse the noise of me shuffling papers. That was my favorite thing in the Egyptology episode. Was when, uh, which is why I kept it in. Where you're like. <laughs> 
cats. Like you had to like stack all these papers and you're like, oh my gosh, people have asked this million questions. So many cat questions. Um, yeah, this is uh, Rebecca Lynn Wesselberg said, can you do a crossover with the Percast? And done it. Of, yeah, did done. it. Checked off. Have I only done one episode of the Percast or did well, I do two? No, it was the April Fool's episode. Yeah, the Mantis one, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That was two April Fool's or no, one April Fool's ago, right. I think. Right. It was 2017, April Fool's, and we talked about owning a praying mantis as a pet. Yes, which I want to do. You should get one. I don't one. know if you've if you've thought about getting any new insects as pets since then. Ever since I killed Mirabelle, I feel like I think putting my toe into the motherly waters is scary. I mean, you know, you just take it one step at a time. You get a few ants. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm working on ants today. I know. I saw the email. Yeah, yeah. To just just two two lonely ants. That's so sad. Just but the- then they'll make more, right? No, they're all, most of them are girls. Oh, they need okay. a queen. They're okay. just going to be two lonely ants. It's like two bitches stuck in an airport. Just, I guess we're here now. But I mean, they have the ant farm model themselves. Yeah, that's oh, true. What about a fish tank? No. Are no. you not a fish person? I Fish are fine. Fish are fine. They're not friends. They're fine. They're, at least with Mirabelle, like I could take her out and she could crawl on my face and we would listen to Beyonce together. So I felt like, but I feel like fish, fish don't care about me. Okay. They're never going to care about me. Or snails. I could get a snail. Get a snail. I could get a pet snail. I'm not going to get a gal. I'm not going to get a giant African land snail. No, well, that's Mm-mm. illegal. <laughs> and then it's so illegal. And then if they escape, then all of it'll ruin the ecosystem. The whole world will be covered in gals. Hell yeah. <laughs> so uh, no gals, no snails. I do kind of, I all I want is a dog. Everyone who knows me knows all I want is a dog. And yeah. my whole life is just a steady march to own a house and get a dog. That's the only reason I do anything. It's going to happen. I feel like when I do it, what if I get there and I'm like, I hate this dog. I mean. <laughs> what if that happens? Uh, I feel like. I feel like it'll be, but I mean, you'll be ready for it. You know, I mean, Sarah just adopted a new cat and it took her like three years to like work up to getting it. So I think I'm going to love the dog no matter what. I'm just a little, I'm just a little bit afraid of what if I've built it up so much. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I I think you're not worrying about it. I'm not worrying about it. Yeah. yeah, But that's my, with the day that I get a dog will be like a very, very big day. I think I want to have a dog shower where I invite people and then I register for things and people have to get me like, I don't know, bowls and leashes oh, okay. and stuff. And Not sh- the dog gifts. You, They get you the gifts. They get the dog gifts. Okay. They get like a, as if I were having a baby, like poop bags and stuff. Oh. And I just like register at Petco. Cute, like, like science themed uh, dog stuff. I'm in it for the dog sweaters. A whale costume. Or a, dar- a dog shark costume. That'd be so great. If I get a dog, I might register. Um, I'm going to start with this question because okay. it's very straight to the point, which is Jeffrey Katz wants to know, I would like to hear your weird backstory. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Okay, I'm going to do it in a real nutshell. Um, okay, so I grew up the last of three girls. I'm pretty sure my parents were gunning for a boy. And so they were very supportive of us being as tomboy as we liked. There was like not a lot of pressure to be like, like baby pageant girls. So we just grew up like romping around outside and like catching pollywogs and like looking at muskrats and like up in Sacramento. And they would just turn us, we were like free range chickens. They were just like, come back before sundown and don't get tetanus. Like those, that was pretty much the only rule. And so and I always loved science and I always loved like bugs and nature and stuff. And so then, but I also liked theater dorky, stupid shit. And so I went to college and I couldn't decide if I should 
study film and art or biology because I love them both. So I study them both. And then I had this epiphany. I was really a biology major. And then I had this epiphany studying crawfish mouth parts in a library at a city college. And I remember just sitting there being like, I'm memorizing all these mouth parts. So this is because Wendy Fix asks what sparked your interest in science. So oh. this is the moment. This is the moment for you. No, this is what made me change my major to film. Oh, shit. I was I was like on the course to be a biologist. And then I was studying these cra- these crayfish mouth parts. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this forever. And then I was like, I think I want to make art stuff, but make art stuff about science. Okay. So that was like the moment I was like, I think maybe I can do both. But I always loved, I, you know what? My parents got me this microscope when I was, I, rem- I remember I was like eight. They got me this like toy microscope. It was really good though. It works really well. Nice. But it was like for kids. It was yeah, like yeah. made of plastic so that like you couldn't break it. The speak and spell of... Pretty much. Microscopes. I have a replica of it. I found a replica once uh, or like the same kind in an old like thrift shop and I went bananas and I bought it. But um, yeah, I think they were just like, I don't know, maybe they'll like me. It's just like whatever, like last minute Christmas gifts. And I ended up loving it and I used it all the time and I would like swab dust and put moth moth mouths under it and I just loved it. And so I remember my sisters and I listened to the Beatles a lot around that time. We just would like listen to tapes of the Beatles and I would look at my microscope and I remember just being like, this is heaven. This is a life. So then I studied it in college, but I just, I think I, I wanted to do something with art and science and I thought maybe I would be a biological illustrator or something. And I ended up studying film and then I always wanted to do this, but I got kind of sidetracked um, doing some like journalism and other stuff. I, I kept kind of bouncing around. According to Alipedia, uh, her, not Wikipedia, she started as an illustrator at the LA Weekly in 2005 here in Los Angeles before writing for the same publication in 2006. Then she moved onward and upward to the LA Times in 2007 and wrote for them until 2010. Well, it sort of gave you the means to come around and do this kind of in a way. Right. And also, we just for listeners, we both went to UCSB. We did. And did film as we both did the same program. Right. We did. Um, yeah. Which is so crazy to think about. That is really, really weird. I think yeah. you were there like 25 years after me. No, <laughs> like, no. I was there when no. we would, when I was in college studying film, we would actually cut film with like razor blades and have to tape it back together as editing. I, I will be fair. I feel very lucky that like my class is probably one of the last classes to do that because they definitely don't do it anymore. Don't feel lucky. It which sucks. Is, oh, you know what? I There was something zen about it a little bit. Just like, but I think only just because... It just was, it does, people don't do that anymore. I think for me, but yeah, I agree. I don't know if I would want to, I definitely, as an editor, I definitely wouldn't want to do that for a living. Can you imagine editing ologies like that? I, no, <laughs> like, no. Um, but yeah, so basically you did, you know, film stuff and, and television stuff and food stuff, but then that kind of allowed you to. Right. Right. So, so then what, so then a question that a lot of people had, of course, which was, um, there's Bree Johnson, Danny Kang, and then Melissa Kotzel. I like the way she worded it. What was, what was it that finally gave you the kick in the butt you needed to actually start making the podcast you wanted Aww, to make for so long, which that's is such a good question. I like, the, I like the food arena, but it always felt like it was not quite what I was like, what I really wanted to do. I felt like I kind of fell into it and was like, okay. Yeah. But, um, but I, I started volunteering at a, a museum in 2013. I had a really, I don't know, I'm sure some people have heard the story, but I had a really, really shitty, shitty year. Like 
my I mentioned it in the hematology episode, I think. Or no, the the museology. No. Yeah. Entomology episode. <laughs> Wait, it wasn't in the museology? I feel like Maybe it was I can't remember. But I had a really shitty year and I was really sad and my dad uh got diagnosed with myeloma. He's doing really well, by the way. Um and so I was just I was I went through a breakup where I was really bummed and so I started volunteering at the museum and that kind of opened up the whole science correspondence stuff for me because I really just did it because I wanted to be there. I just needed something to lift my spirits because I was so, I was just crying all the time. I was like, I remember being like, I only cried three times today. And I remember being like, what an improvement. If you were doing your bullet journaling, then you'd have a little square, like a little row for crying, like sleep schedule, eating, exercise, crying. Like like three teardrop yeah, yeah. in like a, a special blue pen. I was so bummed. But so, and then I met all these really great people through the museum. And I, and then I have a friend, Andy Hall, who works um, with Innovation Nation, which is a show I work on now. And he edits for them. And they were looking for a correspondent. He's like, well, you know, my friend Allie's always liked science. And she's at, she works at this museum sometimes. And that's how I ended up getting a job in Innovation Nation. They were like, hey, we're, we're casting this new show. And we understand that you do TV, but you also like science. And I was like, holy shit, who knew that volunteering would have led me there? Because I don't, I think there was a weird moment where I like, even with my Instagram, I had like a food comedy podcast Instagram, but I was afraid to put up pictures of science because I was like, oh, that's kind of off brand. And like <laughs> people follow me for like drink recipes and vintage clothes. And so I remember like putting something up, um, saying that I was got my badge to start volunteering at the museum. And I remember someone made some comment like, oh, yeah, you're going to make uh, any whiskey shots for the kids. And I just remember being like, <laughs> that's not who I am. <laughs> I just remember being really kind of bummed. And it was kind of like a an eye opener for me that I wasn't maybe doing what I, what yeah. I was supposed to do. But in terms of the podcast, um, I had I've wanted to do this idea for like so, so long. And then the day that I actually put it up, I'd been working on it for like, you know, we'd, well, yeah, I was, we'd worked it, on it for like nine months together. Well, so f well, one question from Julie Noble was like, what did you do to celebrate the launch of ologies? Oh which God. is a, you know, is a bigger <laughs> question and a bigger story. So, I, you know, but making we can get ologies, into it. Like you were, you had helped me for months. Like I really wanted to make this and I had come to you being like, okay, I remember you were there for the, when we recorded, obviously, Paleontology. Of course, yeah, Dinosaurs. Yeah. We're like, bring it's them me. in the booth. Get them in the booth. Um, and I I had been like, I came to you, I was like, Steven, I have these interviews and I think they're good, but they don't think they like really capture what I want this to capture. And you like sat down with me, you showed me how to use garage bands, like you just like, gave me all these tips and we went back and forth with edits and stuff. And then finally came I was like what if we put in these like little asides and stuff? And so worked forever on that and then was like, okay, I finally think I've got this in a good place. And then the day that it went to launch with our old podcast network, they put up like the unedited version. Like one, it, this was, this was, I mean, again, we're recording this a, a year from the first episode uh, oh with, with Jess Phoenix. Um, but the the first episode it had an edit from like April, yes, or something like that, yeah. which was wasn't ever meant to be finished or anything. And yeah, no, no asides, yeah, no sound effects, <laughs> like all this stuff that we ended up taking out. So it was like a kind of a raw version is what went up for the very first episode, and yeah. I realized the error. The network had just 
put up an old file and I realized the error after like several thousand downloads had already gone through like all these people I'd been like pumping it forever so I had to be like everyone erase that one there's actually the real so that was a little so I celebrated that day by just probably hoarsely crying into a pillow being like am I cursed well it's your it's your it's like your it's like shitting in your pants on your birthday (laughs) do you know what I mean like it's my birthday but still this I you know and and again it's this thing of like It, you know, it, to, to, you know, it was it was all this work that you put in. And, and that's the thing I was going to say before is that I feel like it's funny that you got that comment when you were starting to volunteer, because I feel like a big part of why why I was a fan of Slumber Party and how I f- found the podcast and stuff is that over the evolution of that podcast, you would just talk about science stuff more and more and more. And I just thought that was very inspiring because you're just like, hey, or something I'm interested. So it's cool to think that you got a job doing science correspondence because you kind of like manifested your interest. And so I was really afraid it would alienate people and they'd be like, this is not what I came here for. Well, no, I mean, because that's another thing like UCSB, like I almost double majored in uh, geology and film, Really, but because I wanted to study abroad, it's like harder to study abroad in the sciences and stuff. So I've always related to that desire to like want to be involved with science, but not necessarily like being good enough at math or whatever to get the degree. While getting a geology degree at UCSB required a ton of undergrad coursework in biology, physics, chemistry, and math, getting a film and media studies degree only required two science classes. I chose dinosaurs, obviously, and natural disasters. And yet they were the best grades I ever got in my four years there. So I feel like I really connected with that. And so then, of course, when ologies, when you were like wanting to do it, it's like, of course, I wanted to like, at least like you know just even just be like hey like i love what you're doing or whatever so i was so thankful you wanted me to help out but oh hell yeah i was like i got stephen ray morris to work on this because i've known you for years like i remember you came to a a slumber party live show and you told me about a cockroach infestation and i was like i like this kid (laughs) oh the great cockroach infestation of 2014 or something like that we talked about we just talked about how like cockroaches are like the one insect that i'm like i want to be i want to be down with you but well i you know i I mean i eventually held them when i did that live animal thing and i like let cockroaches like because they did like bob ross painting but with cockroaches so i was like picking them up and let and i felt very like i was like ellie would be proud of me right now i'm like holding all these bugs and then they they did a thing where they it was like um like a twitch raise money for charity Mm -hmm. and they were if you donate fifty dollars they'll put a tarantula on your head Awesome. A Brazilian rose, a rose hair tarantula. This is where the aside comes in, and then right. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was so funny because I think I played it so cool that nobody put it on me all day. But the person, of course, it was like. Like, of course, it's funnier. And then by the end of the day, I was like, oh, I didn't get to hold the tarantula. And then I just like held it like not even on camera. And I was like, oh, wow, I feel like just from learning from the podcast and trying to overcome that fear of insects. Well, technically, a, a spider. Oh, or an a, arachnid. A, yeah, yeah, Close arachnid. enough. But did you did you feel like you got over like a bug hump with that? A, a little bit for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. So I was just like, oh, like, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Allie will be proud of me that I'm holding cockroaches and tarantulas right now. I think it's like it's funny, too, because like when we see a cockroach or a tarantula come out of a terrarium, we're like, okay, you're 
okay, we know where you're, we got it. We got your backstory. Yeah, yeah. Probably worst thing that's going on is maybe you got some mites in your joints. But when there's just something like eating an apple core, like in uh, or under a, out of under a your socks grade. in your <laughs> underwear drawer or whatever, you're just like, like. I did. Um, I had a friend who sent me like a bug picture, like Allie, what is this bug? And I love those. I get a couple of them, sometimes a couple a day, and I'm like, bring it on. I have to admit, the moment Allie and I exchanged numbers, I took advantage of her bug encyclopedia brain and texted her often, like, "Whoa, what kind of spider is this?" And uh, hey, this moth looks rather unique, doesn't it? He's like, what is this cute little bug? And I was like, it's a baby cockroach. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I hate to tell you. So in all of this, like getting ready, being excited, and then like this day happens, it just, I I, I, but I think if it seemed like pretty quickly that people understood what this podcast was about and glommed on. And it was just, I think the, your instinct of having the asides was like such a good choice because it's. People like people love it. I think it's Matt Meyer that says this. Um, that he says there's East Coast podcasts and West Coast podcasts, and East Coast are very <laughs> like, uh, like NPR and This American Life and sound beds and yeah. fading in and narration and da da da. And then West Coast is like a couple mics in a yeah. room, let's, in a closet, yeah, as we are right yeah, now. Yeah, let's shoot the shit, and put this thing up. It goes up in an hour. Great, perfect. Yeah. And so, and I re- started recording these, and I remember being like, it's going to be a West Coast podcast. I'm just going to kick it with scientists, and then being like, Ugh, there's a lot of things I didn't understand or I didn't want to ask or maybe needed some levity and i was like but i don't have the i don't have the means i'm not npr i can't do like a full produced thing so the aside seemed like a good in between where it was like mostly a long form interview but just with these pop-ins being like real quick and so it kind of i remember putting it up being like this isn't east coast or west coast what if this (laughs) there's a reason why this format doesn't exist it probably sucks and then it's nice that it ended up working as a format. I've noticed people want to learn when they listen to podcasts, but they also want to be entertained. And it's right. like you are taking the parts of the scientists that are sharing this exciting information and humanizing them, but also just giving it kind of a rudder so that you could actually go to this episode and you could really come away with real knowledge, not just about who the scientist is, but about what they do, which I think is why the podcast is so important or why science advocacy is so important because it's the point is you're supposed to not only care about it, but also learn something too. So I feel like that's, I think why the asides became so essential. Oh, that's good. Sometimes I'm like, people hate these, but I think they like them. I don't know. I hope so. Well, there's a great question uh, as I'm sorting through, oh, here we go. This is a this is kind of a long one, but it's but this is kind of ties into this, which is um, Kelly Janes asks. I'm very inspired by your ability to provide excellent science communication. Aww. You make complex and difficult ideas easy to understand without seeming pedantic, and you make it all seem so fascinating. I'm an environmental planner for a government agency that does a lot of high tech research, design, and construction of watershed infrastructures. Dang. And my job is to often help educate the public on our work so they can provide comments on how our projects will impact their lives. I was always told to try and say it in a way that my grandma would understand, (laughs) which has never been helpful. Any tips for how to communicate technical stuff effectively to the general public? Ooh, I mean, I guess I don't go by the grandma rule unless your grandma swears a lot. And like my parents listen to this and I'm like, oh, sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. Like I, I people are like, can you I've had a couple people be like, can you not swear as much like a couple? And then most people be like, keep swearing. It's fine. But so like gearing communication toward a grandma depends on depends on how like informal you want to get. But I think the biggest thing about it is um, why people should care. I think the information is only important if people care about it. And so I think 
the first thing you have to do is relate it to people's lives. Like people watch beauty tutorials because they want to f- do the same thing and feel more beautiful. People watch whittling tutorials usually because they want to learn how to whittle unless they have ASMR, in which case, Steven, that's, they just me. Watch them. that's me. I'm watching all these, uh, all these <laughs> kind of things. I call it the Bob Ross effect. The soothing tingles you get when someone has a smooth, calming voice. And according to Wikipedia, autonomous sensory meridian response, ASMR, is an experience characterized by a static-like or tingling sensation on the skin that typically begins on the scalp and moves down to the back of the neck and the upper spine. ASMR signifies the subjective experience of low-grade, quote-unquote, low-grade euphoria characterized by a combination of positive feelings and distinct static-like tingling sensations on the skin. It is most commonly triggered by a specific auditory or visual stimuli and less commonly by intentional attention control, whatever that means. Tom Stafford, a lecturer in psychology and cognitive sciences at the University of Sheffield, was reported to have said that ASMR might as well be a real thing, but it is inherently difficult to research. Something like this you can't see or feel and doesn't happen to everyone. Stafford compares the current status of ASMR with development attitudes towards synesthesia, which he says, quote unquote, for years was a myth. Then in the 1990s, people came up with a reliable way of measuring it. Eh. I guess this is a test to see if it works on you. Hmm? You ready to have some fun? Wood carving videos with no intention of wood carving in your life. Hell yeah. Oh, I'm all about that. (laughs) But usually we we watch things because we want to take a nugget of that and make our lives better. We like want to put something in our pockets. And the first thing with science communication is you have to explain why it's a little bit relevant to to their lives. And that means you have to figure out it's relevant. You can't convince other people something's relevant if you don't believe it. So you have to get excited about that. And then I think it's a matter of just artful analogies are helpful. I mean, if they're applicable, like uh, if you're working on like, what is it, water systems, like trying to figure out on a smaller scale what what it's similar to in other people's mm. lives. You know what I mean? Whether or not that's comparing like Hatshepsut to Miranda or yeah. if it's like, um, you know, or or butterflies and tinder or something like yeah. like make it emotional for people and that's what and i learned that from being at the museum actually i don't think i i would have known that when you're at the museum is like a docent which i was like one step below a docent but you have to like go up these levels but they um museums teach this thing called um it's the the way that they interpret is you don't ever tell someone like look at this artifact this is the artifact blah, 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 blah. the first thing you do is like figure out what is what is the emotional importance of an artifact interesting you know you could be looking at a desk and you're like okay cool old desk and then you're like this was the first desk that like Walt Disney drew his very first cartoon on suddenly that desk becomes important like um you know someone else's wedding ring doesn't mean the same thing that yours might to you you know so it's all about the emotionality of the object or the fact and then getting people to care about it that way. So I think science is the same thing. It's like, why should we care about ladybug migration? Well, this is what it's like that's similar to your life, or this is what it would be like if we didn't have it. You know, I think everyone feels a more of a connection to things when they can put it in context of their own life. I also think too, a a big part of your guest is because they're so passionate about it. And I think that's very infectious. And I think your interest in it as well is makes it infectious. And it's, it's like, we care because this must mean something if this person that we think is cool or, 
you know, and it's the idea that they love their job and that's, that's cool when people like their jobs. So then you're like, Oh wait, now I'm listening. I'm paying attention. Yeah. Like it's they're not like, just, they're not just um, coasting through this thing. Like they're not just like at the DMV or something. Who knows? Somebody <laughs> at the DMV could love their job, but they might. and that would be awesome. I would <laughs> love to be, hear somebody hear about that. Yeah. But I mean, I think, yeah, like that's the thing with scientists. It's like, you don't realize how much scientists give up to do their job. Like it's expensive to get your PhD. You get student loans. You're not making a lot as a grad student. Like you're on treks a lot. You're in the lab late hours, whatever. There's a lot of sacrifices that scientists make. I think people think, oh, you have a PhD. You're, you must make so much money. And a lot of them are like, nah, it really depends on what you do with it. So there's a lot of sacrifices people make to become scientists or to become experts and things even if they never you know i've interviewed ologists who didn't even go to college and that's fine too they yeah. just love what they do and they got really good at it and they're that ologist and that's that's just as valid it's just having a passion so much that you you become really proficient in it enough to help other people and share it is like the whole i think spirit behind it yeah. no matter what level of school you're at well and i also think for me personally why I really look up or why I admire scientists is because sometimes the work they're doing isn't really to change anything in their own lifetime. They're looking at the bigger picture where like my little part is going to make the future a better place. And I always find that sacrifice incredible to think about. Oh, totally. Where you they're know? like, I know everything about this one wasp. And <laughs> this piece of the puzzle is going to come in handy later. And you're like, okay, that's great. Yeah, I do think that's really interesting. And I think like finding finding out what it was that sparked someone's interest enough to follow that path that long. And then you also realize like this person's dream might be to be a wasp scientist. And they're like, I love parasite wasps. I'm so into it. And then you realize that like whatever your dream is, if you're into it, then you're on the right road. You know what I mean? Like, I think when you have a dream or when you have an ambition, you think everyone wants to do your ambition. So mm. it's going to be that path is going to be packed and you're not going to make it because it's just going to be like wall to wall, like like a New York City yeah. rush hour down the street. But then you're like, oh, maybe not so because everyone has their own thing that they want to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, as evidence in your career path, like nobody else took that same journey that you've taken so far. Right. Right. Um, and I'm like, I'm sitting here being like, there's no way I can be a science communicator with a co Everyone wants to do that. Right. Some people are like, no, get that camera <laughs> out of my face. Like, I want to go. I'm a baker, dude. Like, yeah. So I guess it's like the thing that the ologists always inspire me is, is just um, figuring out what you like the most. That's like most of the battle when it comes to careers. This is like a lot of times, too, you don't know what you really want to do unless you write it down. Like there's stuff that I've wanted to do that I'm too scared to even admit to myself because it seems too lofty a goal. And then I'll like write it down in really bad handwriting on a tiny piece of paper just to be like, this is it. And those then, are those are secrets yeah. at the end of futurology yeah. episodes. <laughs> and then once you admit to yourself that that's what you want to do, it's like you have so much better of a chance of actually getting it done. The first step is just like admitting your ambition. Yeah, it's it's a very exciting thing. I just just reminded me that there's a, a post in the ologies Facebook group of people sharing their secrets. Oh. Which I thought was like really cool. Oh, I want to get into that one. Yeah, you're just like, all right, let me just read this like with a like with a kombucha and just like <laughs> soak up everybody's secrets. Um, but speaking of ologists in that process, there's a few process questions that I thought would be interesting. Kai or Aki, A K I. 
She says, how much time does it take you to do pre-interview and post-interview research? Oh, yeah. And then Julie Noble asks, how much research do you usually do before you meet each guest? The podcast always seems like a casual conversation, but certainly you aren't a walking encyclopedia of science info, or are you? Thinking emoji. Oh, I'm actually an Android. I'm just an Android covered in... uh and just soft, dry flesh. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I had a dream last night that I went to go interview someone. And as I sat down to interview them, they were like, did you even Google me? And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't. Oh, <laughs> so, no, that's my worst nightmare. <laughs> I, know, I had this dream that I was like, oh, no, I didn't even Google her. And then in the dream, I was like, I don't like to do too much research because I like to be surprised. So in the dream, I like... I even tried to like, like goose around it. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, but goose around it. I don't know. Is, yeah, yeah. Is that a term? No. <laughs> but I just, I usually do. I find that the interviews where I've done less inter, less research before is are usually better sometimes because then I can, I'm not trying to prove anything. Like I'll, I'll typically know i'll like research what they what their work is like um where they've worked where they went to school maybe where they they lived but i try not to get too into their backstory just because it's really nice to hear it for the first time and when someone's like i started out as a ballet dancer and now i'm this and you're like i know yeah it's like okay <laughs> well and also and i th- and i don't know if this has changed at all but uh knowing that you have these asides knowing that you can fill in those gaps later has that has that affected the way that you've conducted interviews even oh yeah because i i sometimes there'll be there'll be something that i won't know in the in the moment and i'll be like oh that'll be a good aside like yeah i think i didn't start off thinking about asides but sometimes in the interview i'll be like oh, i can go off on that tangent but i'll quickly come back to the interview and try and just be super present but i think when it um, the research afterward is, is where it really comes in. Like I do the interview and then, um, I send it through a program called Temi, T-E-M-I. Hell yeah. Game changer. So fucking great. It's like 10 cents a, a minute, which is cheap. So it's like an hour, $6. You get a full transcript and it's like, it's like Siri transcribed your term paper after a margarita. Yeah. Like it's not perfect, but you're like, okay. It gives you a starting point, yeah. which is much, it makes, again, because I can imagine you've just done an hour and a half interview and the idea of having to parse through that, that's probably oh the most God. overwhelming point. But then having that transcript just gives you a little bit of a... I can't imagine. I think that's part of the reason why it took so long in trying to figure out a format is like before I had a transcript of it, I would be like, it'd be like searching around a pitch black closet for like a certain shirt. And you're like, I don't know who said what, when. Yeah. And it's just trying to edit that and be like, where, where is, oh. Yeah. Well, and also, again, I think listeners know that you, you record it yourself because you're meeting all these people while you're on the road. Yeah. You know, traveling and stuff like that. So you're not, you don't necessarily are able to like, wait at 245, you Mm -mm. said this. No. Because again, you're trying to be present in this interview. You're you're already doing so much. So it, it, having that transition script i imagine just made it Ugh. gave you a little bit of a roadblock or a road guide road guide road sure road. a thomas guide yeah a thomas guide a full thick 35 page thomas guide for every it's like the transcripts are like 25 30 pages yeah. it's almost like um when you're writing a news article all of your words are there and then you have the quotes from your interviewee and with ologies i kind of flipped it where i have mostly dialogue with the interviewee with my 
asides are kind of like quotes in an article. So you know what yeah. I mean? So I, I kind of just flipped the format. And then once I did that, I could structure it and I could arc the story and I could be like, yes. it was so much easier to say, okay, this whole chunk is maybe not relevant. We can nix it, you know? Yeah. Well, then that, and that's what makes it really great is that we, uh, it's like we're constructing a story and, and what's nice is that you can go into the interview without an agenda. And then later you can be like, I mean, just thinking about Egyptology where it, it, you're, you know, it's you could ha- you could have had just a very like nuts and bolts 101 Egyptology, but instead it, you kind of brought in and especially with uh, Dr. Karakuni's work and stuff, you kind of brought in a more beautiful, bigger, more important, bigger picture. And it's you wouldn't necessarily know that going in. I mean, you have like we have she had that book, but like mm-hmm. I think the way the interview shaped it, then you were able to just kind of again, you're carving, we're carving wood, yeah. you know, you're whittling away until you're finding the like the really strong through line that's going to hopefully impact people and stuff like that. And that's great. That's always great when all just have a perspective and a point of view too that they're passionate about that because like a lot of times what informs their work is their their passion about a particular question or a particular way that their work relates to society in general. So it's really cool to touch on that and be like, oh, here it is. Okay, this is their through line. Okay, we maybe record for an hour 15. Yeah. Um, and then I cut out enough of that where it's a little tighter. And then I add maybe 15, 20 minutes of asides in too, depending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I write like 4,000 words a week. And I realized that I've written the equivalent of like a full novel, like 160,000 words in the last year. Incredible. To write and research is like, oh, no wonder I'm so tired. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, no wonder why I fell asleep in my clothes a lot. I mean, you know, look, we've all fallen asleep on our computer. Oh, I've fallen asleep with my actual face on the (laughs) keyboard. Allie and I both don't get enough sleep, but at least we give each other a hard time about it. I feel like with ologies, it's like one of my goals with it was to take people who are doing awesome things and like put them on a pedestal and be like, look at this awesome person that you maybe wouldn't have heard of before because they don't run in, you know, same online circles or something and like, look how awesome they are and like fall in love with them. Like, I want to be like a Yenta to like (laughs) scientists and like the general public be like, I have someone you're going to love. Yeah. Like, I want to like match make. And so whenever I see people who listen to the podcast get really jazzed about someone, which they do almost every episode, but it may, it makes me feel like when you introduce someone and then you see them like flirting <laughs> with, you know, from far away and you're like, I love this. Yeah. Like two friends can hang out without the friend yes. that introduced them. Yes. Kind of thing. And it's cool and it's cute. Um, yeah. Well, cause I think twofold, I think the podcast not only each episode can be a primer for people who've never heard of it. But then I also think because uh, ologites are so fa- like, so curious and so, you know, kind of chip off the old block off of old dad Ward's block. Oh, that word. I think that even if, so even if the episode isn't necessarily a hundred percent, that kind of wrote nuts and bolts thing, having that perspective from these scientists, having these interesting personalities on, then it also makes them learn something new. And it's kind of this like cool feedback loop of like people who've never heard of it now are going off and exploring. And then people who've had heard of it, have hearing something new about it. And then it's just hopefully like, again, we're going to be like behind the tree, like, yeah. you know, like, oh, they're, they're like following each other now know. or, you know. And I, I, I always love whenever anyone's like, I didn't think I'd be into this subject and then i ended up loving it that's, oh, also that's the my best part favorite thing because it's like i want to i want to try to point out that like everything is fascinating in context like with passion and context 
like anything is interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. That's why I'm watching those VHS collection videos (laughs) and those uh, cologne uh, scent scent videos and stuff. Is it more of an ASMR thing or is it more of like a look into these people's lives? Oh, it's a bit of because you're trying to like see behind the curtain kind of like what's going on, even though you only have this little narrow window Mm -hmm. YouTube screen and you're like, well, what is their actual life like be, be after they've you know put all the colognes away and then they mm-hmm. have to like go to work like i think i sent you there's one guy who who like works in like an auto body shop but then he'll, he'll bring out the juice and talk about all the different scents and he's like mm, it's wow. got a like a patchouli like base with like an after note of <laughs> lavender and then it's like but he's in an auto body shop and you're like this must be the most interesting or it's a person who and you know and again i think that's a big part of, I think, why there is this group of people who love science but aren't necessarily scientists because it's like this part that fascinates them, but maybe they don't feel like they can integrate it in their lives somehow. So maybe right. listening to something like this is, can let them be like, oh, I love bugs too. Or I like, I want to go like, I'm upset, you know, personally for me, I'm obsessed with natural history museums. And it's my thing of like every city I visit, I w- I'm trying to go to that city's natural history museum while I'm there. That's so considering like jet lag in your schedule, that's so admirable because I don't even do that. And I'm like, now I'm like, I should be doing Well, to, to be fair, I only go to, um, uh, I go to the dinosaurs. Okay. I go to the gems, thanks to Kelly Sytek, mm-hmm. um, who you had on. Genologist. Um, yeah, extraordinaire. Way, way back in the day. I know. Um, in the food court? What? Did you oh, the in the food court. court. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I get a beer. I get a traveling beer. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I'm always, because uh, I've had Kelly on the percast, and I've always, whenever I go to like a natural history museum where there's gems, I'm always like taking pictures oh. for her. Because I'm always like, she. I don't necessarily know like how cool this is, but I'm sure if I text her and like, like show her this photo she's gonna be like oh this is amazing sometimes she'll just be like juicy like just like at this like beautiful gemstone like i forget which natural history museum it was but there there was like a a marine reptile that got opalized so it's fossils like are like opal stop like they're like so beautiful and it's like oh yeah your fossil like i just my fossil is just regular bone like yours turned into like jewels you know like that's so extra and and i think like again with the group like the facebook group like just seeing everyone get excited and share with each other like oh i was out here today and like we can again even if we can't be a scientist we can still like everyone learn and explore the thing is, it's like, this is what boggles me. This is like my whole mission with science. It's like science is everywhere. It's in everything. It's in your whiskey. It's in your ice cream. <laughs> it's in your car. It's in the clothes you wear. It's in the shower you take. Like science is everywhere. It, all sciences is just it's how stuff works. And it's in everything. And the idea to be like, I'm not really into science. It's like, well, do you like <laughs> eating or breathing? Because like you're into science. Like yeah. science is part of your life. And having more context for how that stuff works, I think gives everything so much more meaning kind of like that desk. Like what is this desk versus what happened at this desk? And I feel like even just seeing like a Katie did a bug land on your car, knowing a little bit about that bug makes that whole encounter different, you know, or seeing, seeing a moth circle on a porch light and saying like, Oh, those were OG and they came before butterflies. Like that's a little bit more backstory and context. And like, do you ever watch the bachelor? You can say no. I mean, I have in the past. I haven't. I did, I definitely aren't. I'm not keeping up, unfortunately. I'm not keeping up either. But I mean, I've been known to <laughs> drink white wine and watch The Bachelor, and it's like the self care. It's self care, but it's like I mean, it's horrendous, and it's a display of literally everything wrong <laughs> or, with the world. Or I was going to say, is it self care? Listen to the beauty episode. No, it's really, 
in a in a way in like a in a white wine mockery way, it has its benefits, but I would watch it with my friend Cat Burns. Catherine M. Burns is a goddamn American hero, an Emmy-winning choreographer on the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and pretty much any funny show in the last 10 years that has a scene involving dancing. Remember the aerobics meltdown sketch from Key and Peele? Yeah, she choreographed that. She's amazing. Also, we share the same birthday. We haven't watched it in years, but like you, if you haven't been following the season and then he like has to propose to two people, you're like, I don't give a shit. Who are these people? Why are they in ball gowns? I don't care who he, <laughs> who he asks. But if you've been watching the whole season, you're like, oh my God, yeah. he said he loved her. The more context you have for anything in your life, the more enriching of an experience it is. And so I think that understanding this, that science is everywhere and getting tapped into that and knowing that like as a human person, you have a right to own science too it's not just for people in lab coats it's not for people with certain degrees it all affects your life and like one thing about this podcast that i was really afraid i was like scientists are gonna hate this podcast they're gonna think it's dumb they're gonna think that it's i'm making stuff too easy they're gonna they're gonna write me every week and be like you said this molecule wrong and i was like (laughs) oh my god scientists are gonna be so mean to me like i'm nervous and like i put i have this friend um casey hanmer and uh He's married to this amazing, another amazing scientist, Christine Corbett, and they're both like at JPL. They're the smartest people I've ever met. Um, They just had a baby. And they're the smartest people I ever met. And I remember thinking, they're going to hate this podcast because it's going to be like two below them. (laughs) And they're like my biggest supporters. They're such cheerleaders. It always boggles me that scientists listen to this podcast because I was afraid I was like, not gonna do it well enough and it turns out that like scientists are super curious about other people's fields and uh and i guess scientists were like ready to learn about something in like a lighter more light-hearted way with like more talk about buttholes and stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep, keep it casual but right. also learning i almost feel like they're probably scientists are probably more understanding because it's are. so hard they are and like and i rarely get corrections and if i do they're like warm gentle like oh hey you know what actually this thing like crocodiles might not be gemini in this hemisphere oh. they might mostly be virgos and wow. i'd asked on twitter and i'd done a bunch of research and like they're in different hemispheres so and someone from a crocodile conservation society was like hey just and i was like that's dope there was one question that i thought was very interesting from jacqueline uh Jacote's jacket j-a-c-o-t do you feel like an outsider in the sci-com community if so how did you overcome that Ooh, that's a great that's such a nice question i had this problem when i was doing like ucb storytelling and monologues at ASCAT and comedy stuff and then also like worked for cooking channel and like i felt like you know the comedy person in the cooking world and like the cooking person in the comedy world and i was like well and then i kind of felt the same with science where i felt like the comedy person in the science world and then you know i would be hanging out with comedians and everyone would be like oh what the fuck is a spider and so i i think for a while it frustrated me that i i didn't have a, my both my feet in one world and then i realized like i was talking to my friend caris Ann maria who has this great podcast called talk nerdy and she was talking about how she's like that's your strength you need to like ex- you need to accept that that you're more of the voice of the listener we joke that i'm like the huel hauser of the science world huel hauser r.i.p was an american television personality actor producer writer singer and voice artist best known for hosting producing and writing california's gold his human interest show produced by kcet in los angeles for pbs ali describes him best he would ask these questions on camera that were like, he'd go up to like a water fountain and be like, well, how, what's this? Yeah. They'd, be like, they'd be like, it's a water fountain. You know, how does it work? But he was just like unabashedly curious. And so I kind of feel like in the science world, I can be 
I'm I'm allowed to really ask questions for the listener, maybe that other maybe other people would be afraid of like losing cred. Well, I think at this point, I think scientists are realizing that they need to win over regular people. Right? Otherwise, <laughs> like like those the you know, it again, this world is so scary and, and it's it's hard to get funding for anything. So I think I mean it's just you want people to care. And I and different science communicators all have their own different voice. Like I feel really lucky that I, I'm friends with a whole group of scientists and science communicators. We call ourselves the Nerd Brigade. It started yeah. from a very dumb, stupid like uh, we we all started hanging out because it was Valentine's Day and like some of us didn't have dates and I sent out an email and I was like hey anyone want to get a brigade of nerds together and just go get some drinks and talk about the worst mating rituals in <laughs> nature and a couple of people were like hell yeah I'm in so like four of us Kyle Hill who's now uh, the science editor at Nerdist my friend Holly um, who listens hi um, Holly Bender she works at JPL and then Phil Torres who has a TV show um, that starts same day as mine on October 6th. He's like, and he was a lepidopterologist. We all just like got together and told these super stories. But it then became like this, hey, brigade of nerds. Like, so, you know, because they're all professional, have their shit together. Like they ended up like doing a website and a Twitter yeah. handle. But all of them, like Kara, Santa Maria, like, um, you know, Phil, Kyle, there's Crystal, like they're all amazing. And they all, everyone has different a different voice in what they do. And it's like one might be really good at like science and tech communication. And like, you know, like Kara's this amazing neuroscientist who can go into like a live brain surgery and like know what the fuck she's talking <laughs> yeah. about. So I think if anyone's considering science communication, it's just like figure out what your passion, what your voice is and what you offer and lean toward that. Sophia Garbos asks, have there been any ologies that you wanted to do an episode on but thought maybe we, the audience, wouldn't be interested in? Uh, she said, any that you are avoiding. And then I thought April Farr's question was a good follow-up. She said, did you ever meet somebody you would love to interview and you really try hard to make a case for them being an ologist, but you just can't quite get there? <laughs> I thought those two questions were kind of like a, like a, oh. th there's kind of a middle ground. There are some that I know people will be interested in, but I'm afraid of like, I'm afraid of it being too woo-woo. Like I, there's an herbologist I know who's really awesome and she's so funny and she listens and she also does acupuncture and I want to do a I want to do a deep dive on that on like uh eastern medicine and acupuncture and I am afraid of I'm afraid of trying to toe the line between like okay what what do the scientific studies say versus what's anecdotal and I don't want to bring on an ologist who I don't want to expose them to like a bunch of people naysaying necessarily yeah, of course yeah and so and i won't know until i do the episode really like <laughs> what kind of like what the outcome is and so there are ones that i'm like that could be an amazing episode and i could learn a ton about eastern medicine and i could find a bunch of stories and like actual you know double blind you know studies that totally support it and that could be revolutionary for like for me personally to learn i don't ever 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 want to make any ologist feel bad on the show ever yeah. and so I never want to like call into question maybe their field. So I think that's one that I'm like, I, I want to like try and maybe anyone listening, if they have thoughts on this, like, let me know. But um, there's, and I'm trying to think of people who I'm like, mm, can we make this an ology? Yeah. <laughs> I think botany is one of those ones where I like, I have to find individual subsets of botany to make it, you know, yeah. like to make it like dendrology is 
kind of botany, but it's true. So I'm like, and that's another one where I'm like, Casey Clapp, come on, you're a dendrologist. And he's like, well, I don't specifically. And I'm like, come on. It's just funny that we're talking about this because Haley um, Hollings, Haley, uh, she says, what ology do you wish existed, but it doesn't? Oh, my God. Oh, an ology that I wish existed that doesn't. Oh, my God. What would be my... My favorite thing. No, I'm sure there's vulpinology. I would love to interview someone about foxes one day. In attempting the search for any vulpinologist, I stumbled across a public library website straight out of late 90s GeoCities advertising a vulpinology program that, quote, teaches people what it takes to be a fox. Learn about life in a fox family, which starts with courtship, choosing a den, and raising their young. The kids in the audience will be the young foxes in the simulation and will learn what foxes eat, the purpose of play, how to hunt, and how to claim their own territory as they grow older. Folks will learn a little bit about the language of foxes and their incredible ability to adapt to almost any environment. Should I sign Allie up to this class as a present for her birthday this year? I would love to do one on addiction. I don't know what, um, I know that that's like not a very fun one. I should have been like cotton candyologist yeah. or something. Candy Mountain, you fill me with sweet sugary goodness. Go inside the Candy Mountain cave, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. Or like corn dogologist. <laughs> like, yes to all oh, of those. Oh, that's me one day. You're definitely a corn dogologist. I'm working on it. Working on my master's right now. Maybe you've one day I'll me, get my PhD. You've sent me multiple pictures of corn dogs this week, and I'm like, here for it well that's how, but also just because like because i work on totally lame which you were also on recently mm-hmm. and so it's like you guys had that whole conversation about hot dogs television writer elizabeth lame and her husband music producer andy rosen host a legendary podcast called totally lame that was one of the pillars of the la comedy podcast scene when i first moved here when they revamped the show in 2018 i was brought on to edit the show and it's been one of the consistent joys of my week ever since Obviously, I was stoked when Allie was a guest recently. And if you're curious, it features Elizabeth's amazing interviewing skills. As Allie puts it. Yeah, Elizabeth has this Elizabeth Lame has this great way of making you just like you walk into her house and she gives you like a cookie and then it's like a weird truth serum. And suddenly you're just unspooling your darkest, deepest secrets. And you're like, I love this. Look, if you're a fan of Allie and Ologies, her totally lame episode is essential listening and another peek behind the curtain, just like this episode. And you should just be listening to Totally Lame anyway, because you'll laugh about just how weird being a person is in this world. I totally recommend it. Alicia um, R. Uh, Schievel, I think that's how you say your last name, Schievel, Schievel. She says, what's the most mind-blowing fact you've learned uh, doing the podcast so far? I'm I'm never not going to be fully shook to my core about dino digs costing less than a used Camry. Like that's going to, to my grave. I feel like I think about that several times a week where I'll just be like, 10 G's, you can dig up a dinosaur. You can fund a whole dinosaur excavation for like less than my car is worth. Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, what? that's that's the kind of thing. I That's like one of those facts from episodes that I'll tell people all the time. It, that's such a weird one. And also that butterflies are disgusting. Like, yeah, there's ones in each episode. But um, yeah, butterflies being just filthy is great again like the pr for the seven wonders of the world like <laughs> like apparently butterflies have had a great pr agent for all these years like moths have been like what the hell i know moths get the shafted whales whales are like beep beep beep, beep. everybody loves me but yeah i um yeah dolphins they've had really good pr mm-hmm. people yeah and they're horrible yeah, they're yeah. like they're totally perpetrators of sexual assault meanwhile sharks are like i'm just out here hey guys what, what, i'm just trying to just get a little nibble <sighs> With my razor teeth. Somebody had a question um, about, do you approach guests like 
Because some people it's cold turkey and some people you have a relationship with. And yeah, I feel like I'm somebody who's like, I always want to like meet the person first and say hi. I'm very like probably overly cautious. But because you've reached out to people cold turkey, you've oh, known yeah. people for years, like the whole thing. Oh, yeah, I do both. Like Leela Higgins, uh, entomologist. I've known her for years. Uh, you know, Phil Torres, lepidopterologist, going to his wedding this weekend. Very oh, my gosh. I know. He got the bug shoes. His yes. uh, fiance Celia got him uh, the Gucci bug shoes. I'm so and I like saw his Instagram story, but I almost cried. Um, but so some of them I've known for years, and then most of them though I'm just like they do not know me at all, and I just show up in their inbox like all caps enthusiasm, <laughs> and I'm like, you want to meet me in a hotel room so I can ask you about your personal life? <laughs> it's very weird. I was nervous about doing this one just because I'm I like I have this I have a deep fear that no one actually gives a shit about me <laughs> like i have a i have a fear that like that that this would be just tmi and everyone would be like okay like so i i don't know but i think like when it comes to social media and like promoting my own stuff like i struggle with that a little bit because it, it feels like i it feels narcissistic or something when i'm like promoting stuff for ologies i feel like i'm promoting the ologist again when i first started listening to slumber party and was just so inspired because it was talking about those things you're passionate about it just made me realize like why don't i just why don't i like that's almost like a form of manifestation where i'm like why don't instead of trying to like yeah promote myself in a way that's like feels false or something it's like oh wait i just want to talk about you know cats and dinosaurs and <laughs> science and true crime it's like in pop music why don't i just fill up my if this is going to feel like such a chore to do something like this why don't i just fill it up with the things, things that, that i really like. care about right. yeah instead of molding yourself to what you think people want just mold your life to what you want it to be and the right people will stick around yes and that's like i feel like that's true with personal lives i feel like it's true with business stuff like the best thing that you can be about like your work and your life is passionate. My very talented friend and former roommate, Evan Kerna, at Art of Evan K on Instagram, and I used to have a joke in college that every alumni in the industry who came back and lectured in our classes would say that the key to success was, quote unquote, be passionate and work hard. At the time, as a barely 20-something, we didn't quite understand what that meant. But now, over 10 years later, I get it. It's about the push to be your authentic self no matter what. If I'm trying to make people trying to convince people that I have a life that's very glamorous and that I'm very <laughs> cool and smart and hang out with cool people. If, if that feels... Hey, like, hanging out with the closet is really yeah, no, glamorous. <laughs> we're hanging out in your closet right now. This is very glamorous. Um, it is funny because we're recording like into an entire wardrobe of like vintage dresses and stuff, which is very glamorous. But the fact that there's also like laundry right next to it is like not glamorous. But I would rather be doing that than doing a project that didn't feel like me. So, of course, people wanted to ask this question. Two questions, technically. Uh, Krista Avampado, Claire um, Bidiscombe. Bidiscombe? Let me see. I was like, I feel like you know who all these people are. I know. I know the, a lot of your names. They're the dedicated patrons. Um, Claire Bidiscombe. I think Bidiscombe is right. Bidiscombe and um, Aki. Okay. Mm -hmm. They all ask, of course, what's the best thing about doing this podcast? And what's the worst thing about doing this podcast? Oh, Classic shit. ology question. Hit me with my own questions. Oh, dear. Okay, the worst thing. Let's start with the worst thing ever about the podcast. I don't like doing social media. 
because it it ends up taking so much time, and yeah. I'm like, I could have done so much editing in the time that it took me to post this. It really does, Ugh, it and, so and it's a thing where people say, "Hey, why don't you use like a scheduler and stuff?" But they just don't the third party app thing. They don't work well. I know I they don't work either. That's the main thing I would want an intern for, which I still haven't hired an intern. If anyone wrote me a letter being like, "I'd intern for you," and then you're like, "I guess I didn't get picked," it's because no one did because I'm I've been too busy to vet people but um and also i want to make sure that anyone who interns for me like actually gets life experience that is valuable yes. <laughs> to them and not just is like doing it to, to help out oh of course yeah that's i'm 100 the same way it's like i never want i never want to turn around and do the things that i've you know sometimes had to do for people and you know trying to make it in this industry and you're like i don't want to put anybody through else throughout that like yeah. i want to break the chain of that you know only if it will possibly help them and they can use it as a credit yes. to get them toward their goal instead of just being nice but I think, um, yeah, so social media for some reason is always a little bit of a time suck. What was the best part about doing oh, this podcast? Oh, the best part. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. The best part about doing this podcast is feeling like I have like I have a voice that's authentic. Like, I think I, I loved doing the food TV stuff, um, you know, to a certain extent. Like, but I feel like um, I feel like the even the science TV stuff I do, I still have to be like Saturday morning broadcast alley. You know, it, I get to be a version of myself, but it's a more polished version. It's a more like more energy, more energy kind of a thing. Yeah. And so, but with ologies, I feel like I can, it's like whether you like it or hate it, it's very much me. And so I, you know, the weirdest thing about it is like knowing that, knowing that my parents listen to it. <laughs> Hi mom. Like, which they have never listened to any podcast I've done in the past. And like, but there's a weird kind of bittersweet thing where it's like even the people who are so close to you, like having them know the true you that I'm like that I do swear like a sailor and I'm like kind of gross and have kind of a darker sense of humor. Like I think those are even things that I've hidden from some people in my real life, you know, not just to, not not even just like the public at large. And so I think that um, that this has been a really big exercise in in bravery that's i think why it was so scary putting it up because it's like what if you put this up and like everyone hates it <laughs> you know what i mean you're like oh yeah. no so yeah I think there's a vulnerability there yeah it's always better if you're real everything's always better if you're real. yeah and so this question was from kelly windsor from micah eckard greg uh nick laura estrada and uh jamie Cutanock. Um, again, I apologize, everyone. This is a lot harder than I thought being on this end of it. I was like, I can pronounce everyone's <laughs> names fine. All right. Um, Not so easy. Just ask uh, Radhavakaria, whose name I said Radka, because my my mouth like jumped to her last name and put a K in their first name. And so Radha, sorry. Radha knows that if I mispronounce uh, their name again, then they get a puppy. Yeah. Oh, I yep. like that. <laughs> Keeps you. It's like yep. tip, it's money in the swear jar. Yep. Pretty much. Um, so they'll ask um, some variation of what is the end goal for the podcast? Um, I'd love for it to go on forever, but when will you feel you did your dream justice? <laughs> oh, that is a, I've never thought about that kind of question before. You're like, I just want to achieve my dreams. What do you mean yeah. finishing the dream? Yeah. Doing what does that even justice. mean? Oh my God. If this point, if someone was like, turns out pod podcasts are over, you can't do it anymore. I think I'd be like, okay, I gave it a good crack. I think I'm the, the biggest thing was like, this was a concept I wanted to do for so long that like the fact that I now can lay claim to the concept is like the biggest thing. Like right before I put it up, um, you know, we'd been working on it for like nine months. I had started an Instagram account. I think I started a Twitter. Like I had the art all done. I had recorded a bunch. I was almost 
I was almost done with Just Phoenix's episode and someone on another podcast who's like this really big YouTuber and stuff who I know through, I've never met him before, but we have mutual friends, said that he wanted to do a podcast about ologies. And I was like, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Like I have the art, like it was supposed to go up in the next like week or two. And I emailed him and I was like, hey dude, I heard that you wanted to do this. I don't know if you know, but I've been, I have an Instagram account. I've been talking about this for like months and months. Um, Maybe it's great minds, who knows, but I'm just about to release this. So are you really gonna do it? And he's like, I probably won't. And I was like, okay. So I put it up that night. I put up yeah. episode zero that night. Cause I was like, I just have to get this out there enough dicking around. And so um, being able to say that like, this is an idea that I got to do and like, oh, there's a weird ology. Talk to Ali Ward about it. It's like, that to me is like doing it justice. I finally made it. So that was a big deal. But I think, um, oh my God, I think, I would love to keep doing it for as long as I can because I just think that it gets more and more interesting. At this point, I would say that getting this far, doing a year's worth, I there is part of me that's like really wants to be number one on the science charts, even yeah. just for five minutes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course. I always look because like this week we were number 10. We go up and down, but like I, I look at like the hidden brains and the... um radio labs and all of these ones that are produced by people who work in offices and not their closets. And I'm like, I want to like, <laughs> I want to get up. I want to just top the science charts yeah. just for a day would be so cool. People ask, like, do you think you're ever going to run out of ologies? And I was like, dude, are there things on earth? Because yeah. there's an ology for everything yeah. on earth. Like look at an object, anyone listening to this, like look at an object around you there's like a science behind it and there's that means there's someone who does it. You know what I mean? Well, that's been fun about the show too is that you're not necessarily like, all right, I'm going to start with biology. You know, you're kind of following the muse as opposed to like, I have to get, I have to be like the 101 topics. Oh no, you know? yeah. There's uh, this thing, this whole shebang's on shuffle, dude. I don't know what's coming up next. Yeah. I have no idea. Everyone has their own playlist of ologies of right. what order. Who knows? I, I, my whole, the way that I schedule out the episodes too is I just write the episode, the ones that I've recorded, I write them on an index card and then I have them like a deck of cards so that I, I like stagger them out and I'm like, okay, these two would go together. Actually, let's take this one and put this down here. So like I always have a little pocket full of, um, <laughs> a lick of, uh, index cards and then, I'm always shuffling them around. I don't know. I think, uh, I think I, yeah, I just want to keep making it and I want to get better at sleeping. That's another thing I want to do is I need, I need to be better at sleeping eight hours a night. <laughs> there was a few self-care questions in there <laughs> and it's like, look, we, we know the answer to that. We're working oh, on it. God. I am. I'm it. interviewing a sleep specialist Friday. Ooh. Yeah. Wait, just for, I was going to say just for fun or for ologies. Have you met me? <laughs> you think? I'm hey, not... I did the, I did the sensory depth tank. And How was it? It was, it wasn't game changing, but I okay. liked it. So All right. that's I'm... my one thing I will say for everyone. It was, it was great. And maybe other people will get something out of it, but okay. it wasn't game changing. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to get better at like a life work balance, but it's hard when you like your work a lot. When it's like, I do enjoy like, I'm not mad at researching Cleopatra and her like twin birth. Like I'm not mad at that. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm learning so much. So, but I do need to wash my hair more. Thank you for recording this with me. Cause it feels like very silly, but, um, for me to be like, let me give you life advice. But it, it is also really nice that anyone cares about the voice behind the ologists. 
No, I think people do. And I think, yeah, again, thank you to everybody who submitted questions. Hopefully we got to, hopefully we got to some of it. Uh, right. <laughs> some of it. <laughs> Thanks, Allie. All right. Thanks, Stephen Ray Morris. Corn dogs for life. As always, ask smart people dumb questions, even if they aren't officially an ologist. Follow Ologies on Twitter and Instagram at Ologies and follow Allie Ward at Allie Ward on Twitter and Instagram as well. Plus, there are links in the show notes. Be sure to watch Did I Mention Invention this Saturday, October 6th on the CW Network. There are also links to support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash ologies. And you can get amazing merch at ologiesmerch.com. Feel free to tag or DM photos of you in it for hashtag ologiesmerch for Merch Mondays on Instagram. Thank you, Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltus for always helping with the merch. And of course, thank you to Aaron Talbert and Hannah Lippo for adminning the greatest place on the internet, the Ologies Facebook group. Nick Thorburn made the music and is in a band called Islands. And you can find me, Stephen Ray Morris, on Twitter and Instagram and listen to my podcast, The Percast, the Jurassic Right and Popular music if cats dinosaurs and or pop music is your thing this week's secret uh, my first pa job in los angeles was a blue man group video since it was shot on a white background it became my job to windex the blue smudges they left behind on the floor yep okay bye-bye pachydermatology homeology cryptozoology litology You see, when we go to a location, we think we know what we're going to be doing. But while we're there, we always find out about 10 or 15 news stories that we'd like to do. We'd also like to thank you for watching and invite you to tune in again next time.